church, he got himself two number one biggest fans. It's a Patreon fight. Fight, fight, fight. So here's a big thank you to uh, my, uh, my, Michael, uh, Micah Davis for your generous support. Thank you. Okay, back to work. Extraordinary Terrestrials, Chapter 43, Us Against Them. Maddie didn't know whether to cry or laugh. Instead, she shrank away, nursing her throbbing hand. She hadn't expected it to hurt so much. She hadn't expected any of it. Tripp wobbled, then staggered, then drunkenly made his way to a chair where he sat. In a stupor, he touched his face, then looked at his hand, checking for blood. Maddie had surprised him almost as much as she'd surprised herself. She wanted to say she was sorry, but she was still too angry. Ouch, Tripp stated simply. She'd punched her best friend in the face. Right in his left cheek. She'd felt her knuckles collide with her best friend's jawbone because her best friend had blamed her for everything. Maddie decided she felt like crying, but she held back, still wanting some kind of justice. "'Don't you want to hit me back?' she goaded. Her voice came out raspy. "'I don't want to hit you, Maddie,' Tripp stated calmly. He massaged his jaw, looking down. "'Why not? I sure wanted to hit you.' Her tears blurred the image of Tripp hunched over in his chair. She wished she could have a reason to think him as despicable as she thought of herself in that moment. It was all her fault, and now she had hit him. If he'd just hit her back, then they could hate each other evenly. I sure wanted to hit you. I'll bet you felt it, too. I bet you want to hit me. What the hell is wrong with people, anyway? Why don't... Why do I get to hit you and you can't hit me back? Suddenly it's wrong if you hit me. Maddie knew it was wrong either way. She was just running her mouth, speaking stream-of-consciousness nonsense. Tripp stood and turned away from her, holding his chin. Not this again. He couldn't just pretend she wasn't speaking. Well? She implored. Nothing. Trip! She barked. Still not a word. He hung his head, heaved a large sigh. Trip? It wasn't until his shoulders shook that Maddie realized what was happening. She rushed to his side, all animosity forgotten. My God, Trip, I'm so sorry. She placed a hand on his shoulder, noting the damp heat permeating through his shirt. 
Crying always made her warm, too. He turned, revealing a tear-strewn face. Without a word, Maddie took him into her arms and held him there. They stood that way a long time, Trip quietly crying and shaking, and Maddie in near disbelief. Part of her hated to see him so miserable. Another part of her was glad. He seemed to be exercising something ugly. Her own tears fell down the back of his shirt. A hand was absently clasping and unclasping the hood of her sweater. Eventually he spoke. I can't stop, he said thickly. You don't need to, she replied. I wish I could. I I feel like an idiot. Now that's just idiotic, Maddie stated, sniffing. Everyone has the right to cry, and you, my friend, have been denying yourself that right for years. No wonder you can't stop. It's been building up all this time, unable to get out. A flood, if you will. It's, it's just too bad I had to punch you in the face to break the levee. Maddie found herself wishing she could stop talking. The words just kept coming. What the hell is wrong with us, anyway? She continued. We're best friends, for God's sakes. Why in the hell did I hit you? Why in the hell do you think I'd leave you? I'd be lost without you, Trip. Last summer I was lost. Visiting my family helped, but I didn't realize until I came back here how much the problem stemmed from being away. We're a team, Trip. I want to change the world with you. I want to save the world with you. I can't breathe, Maddie. Which is understandable, she resumed. I can see why the prospect of such a task would be daunting, oppressive, even suffocating, but judging by what Karen has told us about the future, we haven't got much choice, Trip, and I couldn't begin to try without you. No, Maddie, I mean I can't breathe, Trip said in a strained voice. You're squeezing. Oh, sorry. They parted, and Maddie let out an embarrassed laugh. She wiped her eyes and became aware of how close they were standing. She'd just been hugging him tightly, yet now the few inches between them made her much more nervous, antsy. She offered him the chair. Here, sit down. Sniffling, Trip took a seat. The last hints of light shone through the window, illuminating his wet face. Maddie gave another small laugh. Look at us, we're a mess. Let me see your face. Did I bruise you? She pulled up another chair to face him and wiped away the moisture under his eye with her thumb, pretending it was a perfectly normal thing for one friend to do to another. Trip seemed to be in a less pretending frame of mind. He placed his hand over hers, holding it against his cheek. Warm hand, warm cheek. Trip shut his eyes and sighed. Maddie became aware of the air suspended in her lungs. Maddie. He opened his eyes, and it seemed as if the yellow streak of light on his face had become brighter, whiter somehow. I'm not going to... He stopped and looked away, letting her hand drop. At first, Maddie worried it had something to do with her expression. She figured she hadn't done a sufficient job of concealing her terror and hope. 
This concern vanished as Tripp bolted out of his seat and dragged Maddie with him to the door, where he pinned himself, then her, flat against the old wood. In an act of defiance, she threw his restraining arm away. Trip! He pressed a finger to his lips, gesturing that she should be quiet. Though peeved, she abided. As she observed the growing light dancing through the windows on either side of the door, Maddie understood why. White light. Will the wisp? It couldn't be. Footsteps crunched through leaves and branches. Voices, familiar voices. I told you this path leads somewhere, said a woman. You call this somewhere? A crass male chimed in. What a dump! Heller, of course. Maddie had nearly forgotten the conversation they'd had earlier about the extracurricular research. This must have been the preparations he and Reynolds were making. Reynolds hushed him. I thought I heard voices earlier, she said. Fat chance, Heller snorted. This place hasn't been habitable for, looks like, a century. Please, Reynolds chided. This is still Karen's property, probably an old family camp. If we're really doing what you insist we are doing tomorrow, we can't take our chances. We can't be observed by someone close to Karen, so we need to be sure that no one is here. Their voices grew closer, and Tripp bristled beside Maddie. She too found herself overcome with the crippling fear that they might be discovered. It was silly. What harm could the two researchers do? They were hardly adept at researching to begin with. Granted, Maddie and Tripp were the real researchers. If they were discovered, they couldn't continue to eavesdrop. I don't understand why you're being so paranoid about this, Reynolds, Heller continued. It's not like Karen gave one moment's hesitation when she brought the bulldozers in. Yes, but Karen owns this land. We do not. We're posing as environmentalist researchers. You think people are going to keep believing our cover if they catch us backhoeing a massive hole in the bog? You know, you're starting to sound like an actual environmentalist, the way you talk. You overestimate people's capacity to care, Reynolds. Two heavy feet came in contact with the porch steps. Flashlight beams flitted through the window. Maddie held her breath. I just don't understand why it is necessary, Heller. There was a sharp sigh. <sighs> Karen puts up a sign. It vanishes. Karen puts in a driveway. It swallows it up and spits it out. Karen lights it on fire. It swallows her up and spits her out, leaving her in a highly incapacitated state. You see a pattern here? The bog is powerful. That much we know. But it must be agitated in order to incite the kind of reaction we are looking for. Which I understand, but the ethics are what get to me, Reynolds argued. There has to be a way of witnessing the kind of energy the bog harnesses without being so... destructive. Besides, your obsession with the bog as an energy source is blinding you to the fact that there are so many other things we could learn from this unique environment. You're thinking like a silly girl who believes in fairies again, Reynolds. That is not how nature works. You attack nature, nature attacks back. It is a simple, tried and true law. There was a sigh from Reynolds this time. 
I'm telling you, it does not have to be that way, she insisted. Maddie found herself saddened by the impossibility of their argument. In Heller's words, she heard the fallacy of millions of generations of humans. It was always us against them, man against man, against woman, against monster, against nature. She glimpsed Trip in the corner of her eye. It didn't have to be that way. Reynolds was right. Silence. To their left, a hand extended through the broken window, holding a flashlight. It lit upon debris on the floor, pausing on the chair that Tripp had positioned minutes ago. Just an old abandoned shack, Heller remarked. His voice seemed only inches away. Maddie could have reached out and touched his hand. We should leave, Reynolds said solemnly. The hand withdrew from the window, and Maddie struggled to adjust her eyes to the darkness again. A sly chuckle came from Heller. You spooked, Reynolds? No, she replied in the same soft tone as before. She wasn't letting Heller's mockery sink in. I don't like the feel of this place. It's sad. You and your intuition, Heller sneered. His feet rumbled off the porch steps. Maddie noted that though he poked fun at Reynolds, he seemed just as keen on leaving. Well, we found where the path leads anyway. Reynolds and her compatriots' voices faded, then vanished into silence. Tripp waited several seconds, listening to Maddie's and his own breaths in the dark. Strange day. Finally, he broke the quiet. What, he whispered, was that? Well, I forgot to mention it earlier because I got caught up in you behaving like a damn sphinx, Maddie rattled off. But I'm sure it now comes as no surprise to you that Heller and Reynolds intend to do something unsavory tomorrow night. Heller's calling it extracurricular research, and Reynolds and myself are calling it idiocy. Who the hell put him in charge? It was a frustrated rhetorical question, but Tripp found himself wondering all the same who the two strangers worked for. Reynolds had said they were posing as environmentalists. Anyway, Maddie continued... I'll be there to witness the disaster. They've asked some of the interns to stay on late tomorrow to help. Maybe I can sway Heller to choose differently. Maddie, Tripp interrupted, realizing something. When tomorrow? All day, I would imagine. Oh. Maddie realized it, too. How are you going to get Karen back to the bog without them noticing? She paused. It was impossible to guess what she was thinking without being able to see her. I'm sure it won't be a problem, she finally replied, waving it off. They'll probably be focusing on one area. I can sneak out and back again without them noticing. 
Tripp was less than convinced, but there was little choice in the matter. He had a strange feeling that this was how it had to happen. They could not reschedule. It had to be tomorrow. What else had to be tomorrow? He'd come so close minutes ago to telling Maddie. Yet again, his confession had been deferred. Any other time, Tripp would have decided it was for the best that Maddie never find out he loved her. This had been different. She'd seen him now, unguarded, unfiltered, crying. How humiliating. Tripp couldn't really remember the last time he'd cried. Not even after his father had gone. There hadn't been sorrow and tears. There had been nothingness. And then there was Maddie. Maddie flicked on her flashlight. Her face was lit like someone telling a spooky story around a campfire. Tomorrow's going to be a big day, she whispered, hearing some part of his thoughts. Yes. Tomorrow. He would tell her tomorrow. She turned to a window, peeking out. Looks like they're gone. We should get back. Yes. With caution, Tripp opened the door. It complained briefly, then opened the rest of the way in silence. He felt he should say more. Thank you, Maddie. She snorted. There's no need to thank me for punching you in the face, she said as they began to walk, and no sense in it either. I had it coming, he said. I think I needed it, actually. You needed it? Maddie paused. Tripp, you think there was something about being in Jack's cabin, something it, I don't know, brought out in you? Maybe. He recalled the vague details of the dream he'd had while blacked out in the hospital stairwell. You have your own aches, the old man had said. No, it wasn't Jack's cabin. Honestly, I'd forgotten where we were for a while there, he admitted. Maddie laughed softly. Me too. She was silent a moment, but he knew she was thinking up something to say. Finally, she spoke again. I'll cut you a deal, Trip. The next time I visit my family, instead of being stupid and abandoning you, then punching you in the face, I'll take you with me. Trip hesitated. This was a complex proposal. He'd have to get the time off, which wasn't always easy. It had been a long time since Trip had ever left the state, let alone traveled several hundred miles away from home. He'd also heard enough stories about Maddie's family to know how much of an overload they could be. He'd also heard stories about how much fun they were, and the idea of a road trip with Maddie was a thrilling one. You're just saying that to make me feel better, he said, not ready to give in so quickly. Maddie snorted. Well, I won't deny that seeing what I've done to you kind of made me die a little inside, she replied but I wouldn't say that's my only reason. Imagine, Trip, how much fun it would be. I think it would be fun. Besides, it's high time you meet the Merry Matriarchs. They're dying to meet you. They know about me? 
Tripp's cheeks got hot. It had never fully occurred to him that Maddie sometimes talked about him when he wasn't present. He had no idea what she could have told them. Well, yeah, she replied as if it were obvious. Well, I'd like that very much. Just tell me when the ship sets sail. She laughed. They walked on without further conversation. He could feel Maddie's eyes light on him every now and then. The wind sang a rustling song of white noise in the dark canopy above, and Tripp felt ready for tomorrow. Maddie fidgeted on the couch. She did not feel ready for tomorrow. She didn't know what was going to happen, whether she should tell Karen about Heller and Reynolds, whether she'd even succeed in getting Karen as far as the bog, whether any of her and Tripp's crazy plan would actually work. A clock on the mantel ticked. Fred purred in her lap. The beams in the ceiling above Maddie creaked just a flight of stairs and one door. That was all that separated herself and Tripp in that moment. That was in the physical realm. The psychological realm was a different story. Even if the plan did work, what then? Would they continue on in their usual way? Would the bog? As Maddie considered the fate of the bog after Karen's departure... Fred stretched and recoiled in her lap. Years ago, Tripp had told her the story of how Fred came into his life. He'd told her in this same room, Maddie realized. It hadn't felt like the same room. It had been a winter night, the windows opaque with snowfall. The wood stove blazed and the lofty living room was made cozy with the glow of two floor lamps, one beside her, one beside him. Maddie watched from a rocking chair as Tripp teased his gray cat with a bit of twine. Why Fred? she asked. They'd been friends for over a year at that point, and she still hadn't thought to ask. The name simply fits so well. It's actually Winifred, he explained. It's the female version of Winfred, which means friend of peace or something along those lines. Fred flopped onto her back and began to assault the string with all her limbs. Maddie recalled how preoccupied Tripp was with the meaning of names. He'd once explained to her the meaning of Matilda, but she'd long since forgotten. Something having to do with battle. How long have you... How old is she? She struggled. Dunno. She was pretty young when I got her. Couldn't have been more than a year or two. When was that? When I was 17, he hesitated. There was a story, and Maddie knew he wasn't sure if he felt like telling it. Maddie had become accustomed enough to Tripp's timeline to know that 17 hadn't been a good year for him. Fred rolled onto her side, blinking pleased eyes at Maddie, no longer interested in Tripp's taunting. 
He sighed inaudibly. My mom gave her to me, he stated. After my dad died and it was time for her to return to her family in California. Her family, Maddie noted. She didn't take you with her? She wanted to, but I didn't want to go, he shrugged. She was worried about me being alone. Thought I'd need a companion to keep me happy. That's a lot of responsibility to place on one cat. And how did Fred feel about this? The cat seemed to know she was the topic of conversation. Hearing Maddie's voice, she stood and glided to the rocking chair. Tripp shrugged again, thinking. Freddy's good company, he answered after a while. It's not her job to be my friend. If she sits on my lap or rubs against my leg, it's not out of a sense of obligation. It's because she likes me. Or because she wants to be fed. Maddie chuckled. The cat stood up on her haunches and pawed at Maddie's leg through the arm of the chair. Fred wasn't the first cat she'd been acquainted with, but she was the first to take an immediate shining to Maddie. Something about rocking chairs makes her very playful, Tripp added. I think all that wood reminds a dormant part of her brain of the wild, and tree branches, something like that. Fred hopped onto Maddie's blanketed lap and began to knead. She stroked the cat's silky body and noted Tripp's strange expression. Perhaps he was wondering if Maddie was there because she liked him or if it was out of a sense of obligation. Now, lying on a couch in the dark, years later, the living room was transformed by summer. The only light was the half-moon casting a blue tint through the window. Fred's purrs came to a halt as she fell into a deeper slumber. Maddie envied the peaceful cat, not only for her ability to sleep in that moment, but for all the moments she'd had with Trip, how she had been there for him when Maddie hadn't even known him. The truth was, even if Trip wanted a friend who didn't feel obligation, he needed Maddie. And Maddie wanted him to need her. Maddie wanted the obligation. She rubbed her eyes, annoyed. If only she'd thought to say these things earlier in the day, when he'd essentially accused her of making a mess of his life. So much of that conversation had gone unresolved. He hadn't apologized once. Instead, he'd thanked her for making him cry. That boy doesn't make any sense, she muttered. Fred stirred, but remained asleep. The cat let out an almost inaudible chirp, and Maddie had to resist another plague of irrational laughter. She glanced out the window, confused by the many varying phenomena in her head. She wanted to break into Tripp's bedroom, wake him up, give him hell for saying the things he'd said. He had no right. Then again, it was the last thing she'd ever do. And Maddie knew that by morning, her unspoken frustrations would be all but gone when she awoke to see him with bed hair, cooking breakfast again. He wouldn't do it on purpose, but he always managed to quell her wrath one way or another. Tomorrow, it would be pancakes.
Extraordinary Terrestrials is written, read, and recorded by Miriam Rimkunis. All piano music was written and performed by Jonas Rimkunis. All public domain organ music was performed by John Rimkunis. All other music was written and performed by Miriam Rimkunis. Needless to say, all rights reserved. Tune in every Thursday for the next chapter. The spring peepers heard at the beginning of this chapter were recorded in South Berwick, Maine, by Freesound user Bud Gillette. A link to their recording is in the show notes. If you like what you hear, please leave ratings and reviews for Extraordinary Terrestrials on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Libsyn. To get a shout-out from Churchy, you can contribute to the podcast Patreon, which is linked in the show notes. You can also follow the podcast and tell your friends on Facebook and Twitter, as well as the website, ExtraordinaryTerrestrialsPodcast.com. Lastly, go outside. If there's one thing Heller doesn't care about, it's peer-reviewed research. He's not the only one. There are far too many individuals in positions of power who have little regard for scientific fact. 314 Action is working to change that. This nonprofit was founded by scientists who want to put fellow scientists into office so those scientists can make evidence-based policies for this country. In the midst of a rather anti-science administration, this is no small feat, but it is an important one. To donate, learn about current candidates, or nominate a scientist you know visit www.314action.org. At the very least, go outside. Thanks for listening.